When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. Welcome to a postseason, post-championship edition of the Original Eleven. My name is Craig Saxon, and thank you so much for following this podcast throughout the year. We've had really an incredible amount of listeners and i think it, it, it's to the credit of, of this team and the interest that that they have generated uh throughout this unprecedented perfect season princeton's first undefeated season since 1964 and uh, as we've done for several years now uh doing a nice wrap-up conversation with bob serace this one you know a little different than than past years when when you don't have to kind of go over some of the tough moments of the season uh just a a look back at 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 some of the smaller things that that kind of made a a team that that had a lot of talent uh but turned it into a a perfect undefeated championship team you know we hit a lot in this uh interview you know some of the the key guys obviously the john lovitz and jesper horsteads and tom johnson's and mark facades of the world but also you know, maybe a couple guys that you don't didn't think of, uh, didn't recognize quite as much, especially earlier in the season, and they made big impact. Uh, some of the big moments, some of the unseen moments in the locker room. Uh, look back at the Dartmouth game, at the bonfire, everything that goes into uh, uh, this year. A really fun conversation that hopefully you can listen to 
over your Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, hopefully everybody enjoys it. Has some terrific family time, terrific, terrific time to, to rest and relax and, you know, maybe share a smile or two and a story about about this season because certainly it, it's uh you know these are the these are can be once in a lifetime things and uh and and it's been a joy to to cover it and follow it and and everything over these last three months so without further ado uh here is my conversation with bob serace bob there's plenty to talk about but when you have a championship season that ends with players throwing cheese around in your locker room have to go back to that the, the don't take the cheese a line that i i understand you know but where did you come up with it and when did you sense that like the guys get it and they're buying into it yeah i i want to say it was in um it was either peter king or somebody else was they're doing a lot of things on drew Brees. drew Brees was about to set all these records and drew Brees talked about how there'd be mouse traps in the new orleans saints locker room. I thought that was great. And I went to Jason Mitchell, director of football operations, who uh, um, <laughs> worked in New Orleans for a number of years. And we talked about that. He said, yeah, but it never worked. We always lost the game that he put the mousetraps in. I'm like, our guys will never know that. And I told them that story. I actually talked to him about Drew Brees and, and don't take the cheese, right? You know, you have to be focused on, on the week at hand. And the guys just buy in. They're just, you know, as corny as it sounds or whatever the cliche is, we go into a Tuesday morning meeting or a Sunday morning meeting or an offensive meeting or a defensive unit meeting, and the guys are so bought in. And they're so just willing to learn. And this is, they make so many sacrifices. They trust and they work hard. We have outstanding assistant coaches, and they buy into what they're talking about. You know, You've been around sports, team sports your whole life. I've worked with a number of teams here, and it really is true that strong captains and strong culture can lead to seasons like the one you had. And, you know, you're, people are going to talk about John Lovett and, and Mark Fasadi and Tom Johnson and obviously what you could have had out of Kurt Huluba and the seasons they had on the field. But it's hard to for, you know, an outsider really understand the control they had of the culture of the team, of the locker room. How how big a part was that that group? And then I know you've you've talked about the seniors in general, but but specifically like your leaders off the field, outside of just the stats and everything, how big a part did they play? Yeah, I remember when I was in the NFL we had a offensive lineman named Willie Anderson. He was the best right tackle in football. He really should be in the Hall of Fame. They just didn't give enough credit. The Bengals' record his early years wasn't good and everything else. And one of the personnel people said, when your best players are your best leaders, that really makes life easier. And I, I said at my press conference, our press conference at the end, that this was the easiest team to coach. They were always on time. They were always early. We didn't start practice ever at 445. We started practice at 440. You know, I didn't start a meeting you know, at the time I was supposed to start, it was always five, ten minutes early because everybody would be in there. They were accountable. This group was so committed, like the best we've ever did, like conditioning tests. We had to ramp things up a notch to keep challenging them uh, in terms of that. But, you know, John Lovett got every offensive player here this summer. You know, those things are, are just vital. And, 
you know, it was a group that, you know, I talked about at the banquet that no cell phones in the dining hall. We got to get to know each other. And as corny as that sounds, it does. In those games where we're down 9-7, those little things make a difference. And the guys actually, you know, they joke about it. They enjoy it. It's They have fun with it. Like, okay, let's get to know each other. Let's find out more about each other. Let's do those little things and enjoy each other's company. John Lovett will get so much attention for this season, and, and, and deservedly so. And, you know... I think we're not done seeing, you know, potentially the honors that, that he's going to receive. But it's it's so fascinating when you look at this offense over a two-year stretch. You led the Ivy League last year and this year in such different ways. And obviously the two centerpieces of those offenses were Chad Knopf and John Lovett, two good friends who helped bring a, a, a title here in, in 2016, but were individuals these last two seasons. And... They seem to me to be so different as quarterbacks, and yet this offense just thrived for the last 20 games. What does it say about either them as players or this staff or the entire offense that you could build two different offenses or maybe build the same offense in two different ways? Like, how did that happen over yeah. 20 games? Yeah, Coach Sean Gleason does a great job, right? I mean, how awesome is that? And um, we had them both together in 2016, and James Perry just, you know, uh, was amazing, the work he did in moving John everywhere. And then John couldn't play in 2017, and that changed the dynamic that summer. And it gave us enough time and gave uh, Sean enough time to do some things a little bit differently that were going to really emphasize Chad's strengths. And, you know, Chad had a historic season, as good a throwing year that's ever been had in the Ivy League, if not the best throwing year um, in the Ivy League that way. And, and Chad was classic drop-back quarterback. He's in the National Football League for a reason. You know, accurate, poised, California, you know, that type of quarterback. John, on the other hand, is a ball fire, right? John is, you know, in your face. I'm going to run you over. I'm going to find a way to get it done. And, you know, when they played together, they complimented each other so well but separately and individually you know they showed you know how good they could be um and they're so both of them so competitive like i am in i don't go into eating clubs other than the night we won a championship and i'm with all my college teammates who came in in the basement of cannon with our seniors and their parents and a bunch of our coaches and quinn upperly's there and quinn is is just you know when you talk you know quinn upperly Chad Kanoff, John Lark, players of the year. And John said, you know, I needed four touchdowns to get the 75, right? Quinn had the all-time record, career record for touchdowns, 74. And Quinn was, you know, John's mentor. And they're just so competitive with each other, but in a good way. They're laughing, we're joking, we're literally crying, telling stories about guys and events that, that happen in our lives, you know, during our time here. And you're so competitive. And you saw it when you walked in, and John's calculating, did he break Jason Garrett's record for completion percentage in a career? And it's within, what, hundreds, not, thousands? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's that close. And that's how competitive John is. He wants to be the best at everything he does because he knows if he is, we're going to, you know, what are we, 23 and 4 of them right. or something insane? You know, he, he if he's the best, 
that's going to lead to team success. I saw him in the locker room after the Lehigh game when he's got he's got tears in his eyes and he doesn't know what's going to happen at that point. He suffers the injury in that game, which obviously we know missed only one week and came back. But there had to be a point where you didn't know what was going to happen. What what do you remember about those moments? Well, I remember, um, you know, Charlie Thompson, our Hall of Fame athletic trainer, telling me, why don't we have John go get an x-ray now, right? We were up by a lot of points. He wasn't going back in the game. Um, he was playing out of his mind, right? You would never have thought this was a major injury. I was like, sure, not even thinking. And uh, um, John went up and got an x-ray and, you know, it was like, Kevin Davidson leads us to a touchdown. Zach Keller leads us to a touchdown. Cole Smith leads us to a touchdown. And then I saw John walking across the end zone. And he didn't look good. And at this point, we didn't know what it was. But it didn't look good. You know, he looked as dejected as I've ever seen him. And it took him, a guy who could run across the 53 and a third, about, you know, four and a half seconds. It, It took him about five minutes to walk across the 53 and a third of that end zone. And I said in the headphones to, to Sean Gleason, this isn't good, right? This is not good news. And so he goes and he sees Charlie and Margo, and Charlie tells me it's a sprain. <laughs> you know, it's a sprain. And, I, you know, he said it's kind of like what your son had, you know, and he's got to go see Dr. Monica, blah, 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 blah. Well, my son broke his wrist. So um, he just let me know it's a sprain, like... He didn't want me lying about it. He didn't want me lying to scouts. He didn't want me lying to the media or anything else. So all I need to know is it's a sprain. So I'm telling everybody it's a sprain. And John comes in my office and he goes, Coach, 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 you know what it was, right? You know what it is. And I said, yeah, you have a sprain. And he goes, no, Coach. I said, yeah, get out. You have a sprain. Just, I don't go. You have a sprain. Are you going to play? He goes, yeah. Then you got a sprain. And, you know, you don't cast up a sprain and put all the bandaging and everything else up and we had to make some adjustments right he carried the ball on his right hand and you know it's just only an incredible athlete can catch every snap and and play you know we turned the ball over six times the entire year 47 points a game but that's you know usually what comes with turnovers six times and John you know after his injury did such a great job taking care of the ball you know you have when you have years that that Chad had and and John had, if you took those two out or, or you just kind of deflate their numbers a little bit, you're talking about this two-year stretch by Jesper Horstead that really stands with almost anybody in the history of the Ivy League. And, and I know one coach forgot to put him on his first team, um, but it's, it's, it's hard to imagine when, for generations, you looked at those numbers by Kevin Guthrie and Derek Graham, and nobody was even close to them. You wondered... Will anyone even get into the top five? And then you have somebody who performs like him who'd kind of just, I don't know, set... He had to be a piece of your offense, as big a piece almost as, as maybe Lovett and Knopf over the last few years because he just demanded so much attention. Yeah, in every big moment, right? He came up with big catches. This is really 25 games in a row. You, you know, he came up with the big plays... 
in the big moments. And it wasn't just, you know, catching a screen or no. a shallow or, you know, making the easy plays. He made the big plays in the big moments. I mean... The two he, catches against Dartmouth and the touchdown against Harvard are career-defining plays. Yeah, and, you, you know, there's probably, if you say who are the top five receivers in the Ivy League last 40 years, he's one of them. You know, when every scout comes in here and tells me he's better than Justin Watson, who I have the utmost respect for and got drafted in the fifth round and is playing for Tampa Bay, every single one, not they don't hesitate. Like, it's not close is what they're saying. He's the better player. And they told me that last year, but not with as much conviction. When they tell me it this year, it's it's apples and oranges. That's how good he is. So, you know, I, I you know I probably wrote the wrong number on a ballot before as well. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, sometimes you write the wrong number and you didn't see the name or something. This has been historically, going back to your time, uh, a program that has middle linebacker after middle linebacker. I mean, you talk about guys. Cody. You know, Zuli. Zuli, Dave Patterson, Patterson, Justin Stahl, Zach Kesey. I mean, there are just... But to have two that just click together the way they did, and, 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 you know, you look at their numbers and then try to remember that, I mean, how many second halves did they not play at all, if not, you know, minimally? What made... Because you look at them, they're not oversized. I mean, they're not huge guys. They're not the fastest players, but whenever you needed to play, it was Fasadi, it was Johnson. Fasadi was Johnson. Why were they the perfect duo? Yeah, and you've interviewed them. We've done some great interviews. Like, people want to have some fun. Go back and look at those. I've never seen two guys go out in the practice field with more joy. Like, those two guys come out in the practice field, and it's going to be the greatest two hours of their life. Like... I think a linebacker is Buckus and Singletary and these angry, mean guys. And these guys played the game with joy. Like, they just passion, enthusiasm. Now, they hit people, right? I mean, they were physical and they were dominant from a physical standpoint. But it would be, you know, the biggest smiles on their face when they had to go in camp against this offense. Like, you might be good, but we're better. You know, this... Confidence, this grounded confidence that they had, that you could see it in their eyes, and they've been told their whole life they're not good enough. They're too short. They're too small. They're too slow. They've been told their whole life they're not good enough, and their high school coaches believed in them. They're, they'll go down in their high schools is the best players, right? We obviously believed in them, you know, in terms of that. But their whole life, others, you know, have told them they're not good enough. And all they need is somebody to believe in them. And once they get out on the field, they're the best guys. Next to those two is a guy who I think that because he plays a position that doesn't always, you know, generate stats, that strong side linebacker position. But Jeremiah Tyler, it seemed like once you put him in the lineup, it just all fit. It all fit right. And he was... You know, when he wasn't making the play, he's causing havoc in backfield. He's rushing quarterbacks. He's he's kind of filling rushing holes. But he made big plays. You know, he the, the the fourth down against Harvard. He just seemed like somebody that this defense is is not nearly as good as it is without him. 
Yeah, he's kind of like Jesper, like you said. You know, sometimes you get overlooked, and he's a sophomore, he's younger, and it was every key moment, the big plays, he was involved. And his energy and effort, like, it's just like, you know, Mark and Tom, only he looks like he's a Division One football player. You know, he's longer and can run and all those other things. But he comes out with such enthusiasm. And, like, I, I never seen, you know, I get more hugs from, like, these guys, like, high-five, two-fo, they come running over. And it's like practice, and I'm getting a hug or a high-five. And it's just they, they love football. And, you know, Jeremiah, the spring of 2017, he, he turned a corner. Like, we moved him to Sam. We're like, it's so hard to get the ball thrown over this guy. He's so long and can jump, and he can pursue things, and he can run things down. And we're like, that's the ideal position for him. We haven't had anybody that had his talent at that position. We've had guys who could stop the run. We've had guys who were good at the pass. He could do it all. And Coach Mendenhall's eyes lit up, you know, that spring. And then, you know, coming back this year in training camp, he was just on top of his game. It was like a no-brainer. This guy is a flat-out difference maker for us. Two spots where maybe in the preseason, at, at least at different times, you know, you could have questions about. Maybe you didn't, but other people. Offensive line, you lose three starters, some pretty key guys, you know, multiple time all the guy and Schweigert and then, you know, Ramirez and Bush. And then on the defensive line, you think you have Kurt Haluba and you have Kurt Haluba until a week before the season starts. And then it's a bunch of guys that were injured at one point or another last year or kind of gaining depth. When did you feel like we're good? We're good in these two spots. I wish we had Haluba, obviously, yeah. but, but we're going to be fine. Yeah, the offensive line in the spring. Absolutely. They had such a good off season, and we started seeing Holder make the leap. A lot of times it's a junior-senior league. It's junior year where they make the leap. Andre Guest had started to make the leap when Eric Ramirez had some issues as a sophomore, uh, when Andre was a sophomore. And then Eric came back, played at the highest level, and Andre was making the leap. And we saw with Alex Dieters, you know, the, his quality and everything else, in, in the spring, we saw that group just coming together, and the guys behind them, and you know the fourth, third, and fourth quarters of these games. Like, are you running up the score? No, our backups are good. Like, they do a good job. We're just running plays, um, you know, that way. And uh, but th those three guys came in. I knew in the spring with them. With the D line, it was a little bit longer because you, you know those guys were coming off the injury list. You know, Jake Strain and Rollator, and it just took a little bit longer. Joe DeMarco was coming back. It took a little longer to get that group together, but we, uh, uh, it, it was probably midway through the spring, and, and Kurt was still practicing. And I'm looking at it like, wow, Strain is starting to play well. Rollator's jumped up a notch. He is so strong. We can't move him. Um, Sam Wright's the, you know, once it clicks completely for him, He's going to be hard to block. Mm -hmm. DeMarco, I, I started calling JJ. You know, like JJ Watt. He he was just, he, he was like, you're going to get somebody hurt. Like, tone it down a notch, you know, JJ. Like, like, we're in practice right now, and you're falling on top of guys, and we need to stay up. Um, but he, he was challenging to block that way. Kerr was the best, you know, he's the best defensive player I've had in nine years. And we got a couple guys, including one who had a great game Sunday. You, you know, so I, uh, in Cron Reed right. in the NFL, 
as I say that. You felt that group coming together, and you know somebody said it's like the Miami Dolphins of their perfect season. No name defense, right? None of these guys were major college recruits. None of them. You know, JT had some MAC offers. The rest of the guys were maybe had an Ivy, maybe had a Division three, maybe had, but we wanted guys who fit us. These are talented football players, and they might be a little bit shorter or maybe not, you know, the arm length that you want. These guys are football players, and they just play hard and do everything right. When you're in a football season, you get to Sunday, and you reflect a little bit, and you go over some film, and then by Sunday night, Monday morning, you're on to the next game, and, and just knowing, dealing with you now nine years, you, you, you look ahead. And so you play a game like that Dartmouth game, and you get done, and... Hey, look, it's your most historic rival on the road. You got to start looking at Yale. I want to go back to that game because not only was it the best game of the season, but it was like, it was a special game. It was a two top 20 FCS teams that lived up to the moment, that put on a game that I think people will remember for, for you know, a long time. Obviously, you wanted to win that game, and you did, and, and you get an Ivy title out of it, but... As an Ivy Leaguer, as somebody who played in this league, how special was it to be part of that game and to have that game live up to to the hype? Yeah, especially because we've lost that game to them. Maybe not with both teams being undefeated, Mm -hmm. but we've lost that game to them in most years. You know, hard fought, slugfest, sometimes it was high scoring, sometimes it wasn't, and we've been a play short. And for our guys to find it within themselves after we do a 23-play drive that doesn't score and then get the ball back and get the ball in the end zone and then hold them and finish the game, you know, that, that was you know that was unbelievable. Now, we got in the locker room and immediately talked about our preparation for Yale. Like, this can't be the last highlight of our season. The right? cheese. You know, the cheese. I mean, that, that can't be the last highlight. But I did tell them to enjoy it. Because that was two teams. It's unfortunate. We both should be in the playoffs. Those were two teams that maybe we could be Final Four teams. Maybe we both lose in the first round. We'll never know. But, you know, I think outsiders think both these teams could be in the Final Four. and It's a shame we'll never find out. But that, that was that type of playoff battle. Is there a play or a moment from that game that you think, that's the one when I think about this game in 20, 30 years, I'll remember this play first, or I'll remember this moment first. Um, I don't know if there's any one play, and I, I don't think even you know when we lose games, you know it's like oh my god, this guy, you know, and Columbia caught the pass, and it's the DB's fault. No, there was a million things that went on that game, you know, that happened, and you, you know we we talked about it after the year. We lost five games that were one play games, and it was uh, you know we have to be better. You know, kept coming, but we have to be better. I use the word 5% better. We weren't a team that had to rebuild a foundation. We weren't that far off, but we all had to get a little bit better. And you look at that, well, that play started with we had left Columbia in the game by not scoring earlier down in the red zone, right? That was some issues that we had in the red zone. You know, we get to that play. I tell Steve Urbit, come after him. And I'm thinking cover one, but I don't communicate clearly. That's my fault. Bad communication. 
he calls a cover zero blitz, which is risky. We miss tipping the ball by an inch, and our DB doesn't do the coverage the way he's been taught, and the guy ends up going for 80 yards and we lose, right? We all had to just get a little bit better. And that Dartmouth game was the one game, right? It was a 5% game. It was coming down to, in the 180 plays, one or two or three or four or five or six. Six of them were going to be the difference between the win and the loss, and we were able to win just enough of those six. That next week, you know, you're playing for an Ivy title. You play to win games. I mean, you know, you get 10 of them each, each year, and, and so you play to win them all. Um, and I know you don't want to hear the B word during the season. Um, the bon- bonfire. Bonfire. Right? Yes, like, yes, he's yes. Not, We're getting he's not, there. We're he's, getting not there. Taking, he's not taking this another way. Right. Um, <laughs> that's a good point. I thank you for correcting that. Um, but Sunday night, you are now 10 and 0. You, you've won a title. And you're at the bonfire, and you're in front of a great Princeton crowd of undergrads and and and, and friends and and who alums, everything. Uh, as a Princetonian, what does that moment mean to you? Yeah, you know, I didn't, you know, like a lot of the players, we hadn't had one in a long time. In my junior year, we win, we beat Harvard and Yale, we we lost some other games that cost us the Ivy League title, unfortunately, but we had a bonfire, and. Uh, Jason Garrett didn't show. He was working out. Typical Jason. I showed, right? I, I was there. And it happens to be I had to light the bonfire. My, you're supposed to be the captain. I lit the bonfire my junior year. And I had no idea what this meant or what this was. And, and then you look up is, you know, West College is lit up. And you see it hasn't happened all that often, right? And to have the entire community, right, our team, our people, our our other students, or other athletes, that was really special. And I said to, you know, I was with the captains, I got to walk in there with the captains, I said, you know, when you win a championship, you know, in pro sports, they have these, you know, ticker tape parades, and they go down Broadway or wherever else, and, and that's pretty cool, but people, you know, celebrate for like a second, and then the, you know, mm-hmm. the, you're in those cars, and the cars are moving. We were with our people the entire time. Like, that was us. And then the university, just Nassau Hall, just lit up. And, like, you're looking through the fire, and Nassau Hall is lit up. And, you know, I was like, this place is just it's just a beautiful campus. And, and this team, like, is cel- being celebrated, and it was really, really awesome. So you've, you've made your bones here on, on just hard work and recruiting. And, and, you know, they talked about the banquet. You were 2-20. and 20. And people were wondering, how do you how do you turn this around? What do you change? And you said nothing. You see, you just do it. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. You believed in what you were doing, and, and the heart of this has been recruiting. So now you're in a recruiting season. I mean, you've been in it, obviously. That takes place during your your, your season as well. But but this is kind of the heart of it now. Is it? Do you have to just automatically turn the page, or can you allow yourself to enjoy this a little longer? Um, or how does it work? I enjoyed Saturday night. My teammates. Flew from all my, my, you know, class of 90, 89 championship teammates flew from all over the country. And we were under the tent, the alumni tent. And they're like, where are we going next? I said, we're going to Cannon Club. Like, that's where the players are. Like, they need to meet you guys, right? And we all walked into Cannon Club. We were the old guys. Like, we're 29 years out. And, you know, some of the people that weren't athletes are looking at us like, 
who are these old people going in here? And one of my great friends, Mike Lurch, he was having a wine party, you know, upstairs. And, you know, we were selling, you know, this football group's here, this football group's there. And we had the championship trophy down there. And it was being passed around, you know, just generations of Princeton football, you know, captains of the different teams that were down there. And, you know, at some point it was like just awesome to be with like John Lovett and Quinn Epperly. And just put, you know, your arms around each other like, this is just the best. Like, it's what you work for and everything else. Because, you know, we built the foundation with those teams that were 2-18 two and, two, two and 18, mm-hmm. those first two years. And, you know, Steve said the banquet, you know, that second year, we made a huge jump. It wasn't the same, right? Like, you saw it turning. Right, the first year, unfortunately, whether it was Steve Cody or Karan Reed or you know Tommy or Jordan Colberth, we didn't last the season. We were not the same team that we were in training camp, and you know there's a lot of errors I made as a young coach. But you know you get to that third year and Mike Catapano, right? We don't we're not here without Mike Catapano. Like his leadership, right, was amazing. Like Seth DeValve came back. He had a bye week. He's playing in the National Football League. Seth DeValve came back. And it's, you know, you built this. This is you. These are, those wide receivers and guys, they were your mentees, right? The Carlsons. They were his mentees that way. Like Quinn, you know, he was not going to come back. And he let me and Mike Willis know, yeah, I'm not going to be able to make it. And then I see him after in the tent, after the game, like, oh, my God. And he said, I couldn't miss it. Like my mom told me, what are you doing with your life? Right, this is you mentored John Lovett. You need to be there, and, and that's our alums. Like that's that's what they're about. They they care so much. Kevin Guthrie, right? It stinks when you have a record broken. I don't have any records, so I don't really know completely. But I can tell from others. It kind of stinks. Like your name gets knocked down a notch, but the pride he had and the friendship that he developed spanning what thirty five years, pretty cool. I told him he made that mention at the banquet. I saw him at the bonfire and apologized for being the one who was apparently taunting him on Twitter as as Jesper got closer and closer to that mm-hmm. record. But you really could tell. I mean, the, the connection between the alums and this team, because I think so many teams saw that 64 group, that, that oh undefeated gosh. team. And I thought they, they tried to measure themselves against that group. And whether they won titles or, or not... Nobody quite got to the undefeated status. And I think everybody wanted to see somebody else get there. And then that moment between the 64 team and you guys at the banquet, I thought was awesome. Yeah. So, and I don't make this about me, but when I was in college, the 64 team celebrated their 25th, the class of 65, celebrated their 25th reunion in 1990. I worked that reunion. So I'm at that reunion and I'm with those guys. And they're just so bonded. Like, that's all they talked about was the, the undefeated team, right? I never knew I'd be back here as head coach. And I never back here and, you know, with this group and have a team that, you know, equaled and, you know, did things the right way like, like they did every single game, every single week. And, uh, you know, every when I got the job, John O'Brien and uh, Cosmo Yakavazi, right, they, they sent me an email before every game. Words of wisdom. Like things we use. Grounded confidence came from John O'Brien. And things I use with our team every week. And this has gone on for 90 straight weeks. 180 emails. 
that these guys and all they wanted was another team to experience this bond, this friendship, this incredible journey to lead to what's going to lead for the rest of these guys' lives. Once again, thank you for listening to the original 11. Uh, football season may be over, the games at least, but you know there's still some things to come. We should be hearing about potential player of the year finalists, player of the year winners. Uh, you know, you certainly uh, can be optimistic that, that Princeton will have somebody at that Bushnell Cup presentation on De- uh, early December, first Monday of December. Uh, also, you know, what, what happens kind of moving forward in the spring. I mean, there's just a lot of things that, that go on uh, in the offseason. So follow GoPrincetonTigers.com, follow PU Tiger Football on Twitter, Instagram, everything uh, to, to just keep following what has become, you know, you know, maybe the elite program in the Ivy League right now. Three titles in six years, two in the last three, undefeated in 2018, and really going into a 2019 celebratory year that, that uh, you know, between the 150th year of college football and the Yankee Stadium game and coming off this season. Uh, I think there's a lot to be excited about about the future. So uh, certainly we will try to keep you as informed and entertained as we go on. But But again, thank you for listening all season. Thank you for following and enjoying and coming out to games and and everything uh, that helped make this such a historic and memorable season. Happy Thanksgiving, and thank you again for listening to The Original Eleven.